Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Virtual Coffee Break. I'm your host, Martin Mangual, dairy educator in the west side of the state of Michigan. In today's episode, Marianne Busa will spend time with Dr. Lisa Holden from Penn State University. So go ahead, Marianne, get us started. Welcome to this week's episode. Our guest today is Dr. Lisa Holden. Uh, she is from Penn State University. Dr. Holden has a bachelor's degree and a doctoral degree from Penn State and earned her master's at the University of Maryland. Um, she is very active at Penn State's dairy extension team and her uh, areas of interest are financial improvement, improving labor management, identifying bottlenecks, and um, having a team of advisors to work with dairy farms. So this episode we are going to talk about where dairy farms get information and who do they look for and rely on as advisors. Thank you very much for being with us today and being on our podcast. Thanks Marianne, it's, I'm happy to be here. Dr. Holden, where do you think dairy farms look to get their most reliable information? I think dairy farms look at a lot of different people. Um, they visit with other farmers, they read, they listen to things, and they utilize those advisors that they normally have at the farm one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's the nutritionist, the veterinarian, reproductive specialist, extension educators, financial management folks, whoever they're working with on a one-on-one -on -one basis, they're always asking questions and looking for advice. So it's a pretty broad source that they that they use. So in Michigan, I would say that veterinarians make up one of the key advisors uh, for dairy farms. Who do you think the key advisors are in Pennsylvania and uh, the rest of the U.S.? I think the veterinarian would be ad absolutely be key, both in Pennsylvania as well as nationally and internationally. However, that is one piece of information. That veterinarian has production, nutrition, health, certainly, um, operational details, but they may not have the financial information or they may not have some of the other details that the other advisors have. So it's important, even though that's certainly a very credible part of that advisory core, that all of the, the breadth of the advice is really available for the producer. So in uh, Pennsylvania, they have uh, dairy advisory teams or dairy profit teams. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure, Marianne, and you had some experience uh, with those farms and those teams when you were there as well. We started working with advisory teams or profit teams in Pennsylvania in the mid-80s, so we have a tremendous amount of farms and advisors that have a lot of experience, and part of the reason why we're still talking about this in 2020 is because this particular concept has been very successful for our farms, and so what we mean when we say advisory team, it's that that group of advisors that the farm works with normally one-on-one, -on -one. you know, someone comes in on Monday, someone comes in, else comes in on Tuesday, and so on and so forth. But when we put together the team, the team's going to be the same group of advisors that meet on a regular basis. We have some structure to our meetings, we have some goals, and we have a purpose. That's probably the most important thing. When I've done team training in the past, I've always asked people, you know, what do you think the purpose is when the football team gets together at Beaver Stadium and everyone always says well they want to win and it needs to be that clear for your teams too you need that purpose to put that team together and move that team forward 
so who would you recommend to be on one of these profit teams? Profit teams need to be chosen by the dairy producer. So whoever that producer is working with, whoever they're comfortable with, it's important that the people on the team be comfortable on the team. We have had advisors in the past that were not as comfortable with this concept and they really preferred to work one-on-one -on -one, and that becomes difficult for the team. But I think most people, once they understand the concept and the fact that you're going to work together as a team, you're going to share some information, can work very well with that and so we've seen farms that have had teams with as little as you know four or five people um, as many as 12 or 15 people depends on the farm who those farm owners are some of our larger operations that may have multiple families those key decision makers need to sit at the table and be part of that team so you may have a number of different people from the farm sometimes we may have a key herd manager or someone else that an employee that we want part of that team as well as you know those advisors that you have so nutritionists um, extension educators veterinarians reproductive specialists financial folks whoever that farm is working with that they feel should be part of that team it depends a bit on the purpose um, and what you're trying to do we've had some teams that were put together for the purpose of succession planning and at some point in time some of them have actually had an attorney or a long-term planner sit on part of that team as well just because of what the purpose was and what they were trying to do. Does a team normally make their goals and then form as a team or does the farm set goals and then form as it and then gather their advisors or once the team gets together would they decide what the team's goals are at once. It's a multi-part answer. Um, most farms have goals in place. They may be written down, they may not be written down, they may be less formal, but they have some goals in place. When you put together that team, it's important to share those goals with the team, but it's also important that the team develops the goals for the team itself. And so what are we going to be working on as a team? What's our top priority? What's our timeline for getting there? Putting those pieces and parts together for our SMART goals, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, rewarding, timed. That time is, is important for achieving those goals. And once that team has those goals, then there's greater buy-in and everyone's working together rather than separately on the same issues or items or goals. What about record keeping? How important is it uh, that the team has reliable data to work with? It's absolutely important because many times when the teams first come together, we'll have questions that come up. You know, things like, well, what is it costing us to raise those heifers to a year? Or, you know, what was the, the call rate over the last six months? And so having those farm records become critical to helping that team get the data and analyze and help the producer to make good decisions. If you don't have good data, it's really hard to make good decisions. You also need to have good records as a team. So you don't need necessarily formal meeting minutes um, like, like you may have for some of your non-farm meetings, but you do need some notes. Um, you do need some things to refer back to, and you do need some things to hold people accountable for, for example, um, you know, that to-do list that we, we normally share from meeting to meeting. You know, here's what Here's who was going to get what done by when and what happened. And so you do need that, that agenda and those meeting notes, as well as some good farm records. What about uh, accountability? 
it, so the team comes and sets all these goals, but what if the none of the goals are being met or or there's no progress? That's a tough one. And that's why we've had teams that have come together and it was the wrong time and they disbanded because it may have been uh, in a variety of different reasons. Sometimes we had a producer that wasn't really willing to make the changes that the team had advised or suggested. And ultimately it's the producer's decision what happens. But if the purpose of the team is to help make some changes, then obviously those changes need to be put in place. And if that's not going to happen, then that team is not going to be successful. The other part of that sometimes is individuals. You know, what happens when an individual isn't kind of pulling their weight on the team. And that can be handled a variety of ways. Obviously, we are, we are all professionals and we all want to be professional with each other. You know, sometimes it's reminders. I've had, um, I had one person on a team one time that said, I cannot remember to read my emails. Can you please send me a text a few days ahead so I make sure that I get my parts done? And it took care of it. And, you know, I, I knew as the facilitator, I would send out a text and say, hey, remember, we have so-and-so's team meeting coming up on Thursday. Just wanted to remind you to, to make sure you, you have everything together. It was as simple as that. Um, and, and sometimes we all need those little reminders. But having some notes and communicating in between the team meetings helps. Everyone's busy. And so, you know, we, we don't want things to fall through the cracks. We want to make sure that, that everyone's getting things done and, and the team's moving forward and, and being accountable to each other. And as teams grow and, and learn to work together, that accountability becomes a greater thing because you don't want to let that, that team down. You don't want to let the producer down, but you also don't want to let that team down because you're an important person to them. Does meeting regularly help avoid things falling through the cracks? Absolutely. Part of the reason why teams work is because we're bringing everyone together on a regular basis. Now, what does regular mean? When we do team trainings, we often tell folks you need to meet monthly for at least the first three months because part of it is figuring out how you're going to work as a team. You may know each other, but you probably don't know each other well enough in a working sense. And it helps to solidify those goals, get those early wins. You know, we're going to have some successes and then we're going to move on to maybe the more difficult things or, or more time-consuming things. It depends a little bit on the purpose, too. For those teams that are focused more on what I'll call tactical, you know, those day-to-day -day operational details, looking at production, reproduction, finance, those teams will meet probably monthly or bi-monthly. For those teams that are more strategic in their focus, they're looking at maybe longer-term goals, maybe you're looking at a business transition that requires some time in between meetings to get things done, those teams may meet on a quarterly basis um, or some other basis, but the regular nature um, is quite critical. You mentioned that every team needs to have a facilitator. How do you rec recommend that a producer could pick a facilitator and also what is that facilitator's like main role on the team? So the producer should be comfortable with whoever the facilitator is and the facilitator should be comfortable facilitating the team because there are times as a facilitator where you may not be the most popular person in the room because you're trying to guide that process and you certainly need to be, again, 
polite and professional with folks, but there are times where maybe someone's not speaking up and, and you need to reach out and ask, you know, do you have something to contribute? Maybe there's times where you have somebody that's really dominating the discussion and the conversation and you need to maybe politely say, okay, we need to stick with our agenda. I'm going to ask that you hang on to that, or I'm going to ask that we table that for next time. So it's really about managing people to get through and managing that team process. It's something anyone can do. And it's something that we've seen, you know, as folks have, because we've been doing this a lot of years, um, some of our folks have become very, very adept at being a facilitator and managing that team. It's important to have some ground rules. And many times when the team starts, things like confidentiality or, you know, making sure that everyone's participating or, you know, there are no bad ideas. We're going to throw everything out, whatever that is. So that facilitator really helps to set the tone at the beginning and set that process. And this is how we're going to work. And this is what the expectations are. So that facilitator can be can be anyone that the producer is comfortable with. Um, but those are some of the skills that they're going to be using. I'm sure that not all of these teams get together and perform perfectly right out of the gate. There's always an adjustment period. What do you suggest that uh, these teams can do to work through some of those? If you've read anything about teams, there's a very distinctive process called forming, storming, norming, performing. And so the forming is what I call the quiet and polite stage. We've come together. We don't want to step on anyone's toes, but maybe we're not getting a whole lot done either. And pretty soon when we start digging into issues, we decide that we don't all think alike and we're going to disagree a little bit. And that's actually a good thing. That's that storming stage where, you know, some of those ideas that may not have come out earlier are going to come out and it makes you a better team. You learn to trust one another. You learn how to work together better. Um, you need that facilitator to help you guide, guide you through that process. When you get to that norming stage, things are working. You know, we know that things are being accomplished and it's important to come back and celebrate and say, okay, look at what we've done. And many times my teams at the beginning of the year will go back first meeting of the year and have a little bit of a review. You know, what did we accomplish last year? And you'll be surprised how long that list is sometimes as a team. And then that performing stage are those teams where I have farms that say, you know, I wouldn't run my business without this team. You know, I use it like my very own board of directors. Those are those high performing teams that really work well together, that use their time efficiently and, you know, are great for the farm in the long run because they get to make much better decisions that way. When I was at Penn State, I was lucky enough to uh, be able to see you interact and facilitate with some of these teams. How many, how many teams do you think you currently work with? I have three right now that I facilitate and I do some others off and on. Um, I've tended to, because we have so many people that do such a good job, both our dairy extension team as well as our industry, and folks have had a number of years and experience. I don't do as many as I used to. I've gotten some of the ones that maybe were a little bit larger and, and more difficult to manage or had some issues over the years to work with just because I had a little more experience than some others. It does take time. And so if you're part of teams, if you're a facilitator of teams, you know, there's a bit of work that happens in between the meetings. Um, you need to stay organized. And so usually people don't have more than three or four teams. If you get many more than that, it, it's a pretty big time commitment along with, mm -hmm. you know, nobody has that as a full-time job. So it's, it's in addition to everything else that we do. So a lot of times we'll see facilitators that may have one or two, but usually we don't see more than, than four or five 
five teams for an individual facilitator just because of time commitments. How many teams do you think you've been a part of so far in your career? Probably thousands. I've lost, I've lost track. <laughs> I have lost track. I've also, um, I've worked with a veterinarian in the Netherlands who was utilizing this concept. And oh. so obviously that was at a distance. Um, I started that when, when I um, did a short study time in the Netherlands, but we've worked back and forth over the years at a distance. And so we've had teams that I've helped to train folks to put together in New York and Vermont and North Carolina and other places as well. So it's been, it's been a, it's been a lot over the years. <laughs> yeah. So what kind of success can you say that these teams have had for dairy producers? Like I said before, not all the teams work and you, you have to accept that going in. You know, sometimes the, the people just don't work well together. Sometimes it's the wrong time for the producer and they're really not ready to make those changes and make the decisions that need to be moved forward. And, and that's okay. We've seen those teams disband and sometimes they'll come back together later on um, and they work very well together. The, the key to success is having that purpose, having a, that good facilitator that can keep things moving along. Nobody wants to have a four-hour team meeting. You know, if you can keep your team meetings to an hour, an hour and a half, a manageable agenda. You know, it, sometimes we need to set some things aside. We can't do everything at once, so there needs to be some priority, and there needs to be some success. There needs to be accomplishments. I tell folks, by the time you have your third meeting, you should have something to celebrate. You should have done three meetings is enough to have come together and done something positive, even if it's a small thing. You know, even if it's we've changed the way we do our scheduling a little bit and you know, it's better for employees and it's better for the farm. Or, you know, we've decided that we're going to look at cost for a particular crop and make sure that, you know, we're making profit on that crop. And do we continue to grow that particular crop, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of small things that, that you can do in a short period of time, take a look at the data and have some success. We have had a number of teams that have been tremendously successful. You know, they've uncovered issues that maybe they weren't aware of. They've done things in a different way. They've been more responsive. And we've had producers come back and, and challenge the team. And we've had them come back and, and challenge other advisors that came in and said, well, I think you should make this change. And they'll say, you know, well, I'm going to run it by my team and I want to see what they think. I'll make the decision in the end. But I want, a, I want a little more information. I want a little more to think about and, and chew on before I make that decision. So, you know, like I said before, that's their board of directors. You know, Absolutely. they're not necessarily a Fortune 500 company, but they're functioning like one um, right. because they have the best people around them and they want that advice and, and they want that information before they make those decisions. And so we've had a lot of, um, you know, great sound bites and success stories from that where people have said, I wouldn't have done this if it hadn't been my team for my team some of our expansion projects that you know there were so much more information as part of that process that they hadn't thought about once you've built the building and poured the concrete it's a heck of a lot harder to make changes then um, so if you do that in the planning phase ahead of time where you have all those different ideas it makes it a more viable facility in the end so lots of different reasons and, and lots of different successes yeah. You know, when I was at doing my master's, we looked at 24 herds um, that had formed teams between 2008 and 2013. And the data show that there was 
improvements with the team in um, somatic cell scores, in peak milk, in all kinds of measurements. Um, AGFR's calving gut was a little bit better. Um, what other kind of improvements can farms expect? And you know, what is that economic impact piece that the producer is getting back? Every farm is different. And so it depends on the data, it depends on the farm, it depends on the situation. But like the things that you looked at in your in your thesis, you know, having that somatic cell lowered obviously has a direct economic impact. Um, you're gonna, if you capture those quality premiums. I had a farm that I worked with that was off on fat tests in the summer and there were some things going on that were kind of cyclic it wasn't wasn't a horrible thing but it was enough that it was like a gradual shift and a gradual shift back and that was something that the producer knew was happening but didn't really dig down into the data and look at what the cost was and we started looking at that as a team and we started tearing things apart looking at the income over feed costs looking at the nutrition looking at heat abatement looking at some of these summer issues that he had with reproduction and heat stress and looked at the drop in milk fat test and came up with about a hundred thousand dollars that was laying on the table because mm -hmm. of what he considered some little things over time well right. when we started adding all those things yeah. up um, and we made some distinct changes and so the next year we went back and the ration changes were a little ahead of that we did some things with heat abatement there were a number of different things that were put in place but they easily captured a hundred thousand dollars on that herd from those changes that were put in place. And, and again, it wasn't anything drastic, but it was everybody coming together with a little piece of information on the team to really put that picture together in place and make that producer understand that, you know, there was a lot of money. It wasn't a little bit of money left. It was here and there, but when you put it all together, it was a pretty decent chunk of money being left on the table. So he was pretty pleased um, <laughs> when we looked at, you know, the last year and, and the next year and the Absolutely. difference. Now you have season and weather and other things, but um, but he credited the team with uh, being able to help him make some of those changes. That's great. Uh, do you have a, another favorite success story from your time with teams? One of the, the most different teams that I had was a pre-expansion team, and it was a group of 17 people in a multi-generational dairy that we brought together for 18 months. And we knew we were only going to be together for 18 months because that was our timing and planning horizon. And at the end of that, we saw a dairy that was split out on multiple facilities come together on one very well-planned home facility and, again, credited the team with making sure that, you know, the little things that they may not have thought about, somebody on that team thought about. That one was a little bit difficult to facilitate simply because we had a lot of different people from a lot of different areas coming in, but it was something that the producer wanted as part of his expansion process. And then once they got the expansion and the, the facilities built and everything, all the cows brought home, they had a smaller operational team after that to help them kind of on, on a quarterly basis. But it was that really large planning team that really helped to put that expansion together. That's really neat. So it sounds like teams help improve farm sustainability. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, if you ask some of our farms, we'll, we'll hear folks that say, you know, the team has really helped me stay in business over the years. They've helped me um, to grow and, and be positive and be able to move things forward because of that, that team working in concert with the farm owners, things are moving along and moving forward. And sometimes um, our multi-generational teams as well, where we have the newer family members coming into the business and we have the older folks, I shouldn't say older, more senior <laughs> folks, sorry, I'm one of those older folks now, <laughs> um, but the more senior generation that you know, maybe is, is a little more tentative and, and, you know, it almost becomes a bit of a leadership development for that younger generation and a bit of a way of transferring more smoothly for the older generation because you're bringing these issues out on the team. And so it's not a, a pull and tug between the generations, but a discussion across the whole team. And sometimes it may be someone that needs to step back. And sometimes it may be someone that needs to step up and have a larger role. And those conversations become a little bit easier when we have that team rather than individually. So what have your teams looked like during the current pandemic? It's been interesting, um, as it has for everyone, right? <laughs> we've adapted. We've all adapted because we've had to. In the beginning, we had some teams that canceled meetings because they said, well, let's just wait until we get to the other side of this. Well, the other side of this is, hasn't come yet. And so obviously, it's been a great tool for farms, and they don't want to let it go. So they've been very creative about how to get their teams back together. Some of them have have met virtually depending on their comfort level with technology. Some of them have met on the farm but not like our normal team meetings. I had one that you know they met they actually met in the holding area and they spaced out their chairs and uh, everyone was socially distant but we could still uh, talk to each other and and hold our meetings. For some of the teams that that only meet quarterly they've done a little more information sharing in between that they normally wouldn't because people may not be because of COVID they may not be on the farms at the same time. Some people may not be on the farms at all, just working remotely. And so they've found some creative ways to maintain those teams and, and share that information throughout this. But yeah, we've, we've literally got virtual teams now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for joining us for our virtual coffee break. And uh, thank you. We would like to thank Marianne and her guest, Dr. Holden, for the discussion in today's episode. Definitely very interesting to see what a great difference it makes when multiple advisors are working together as a team. We definitely see that farms often employ the help of veterinarians, nutritionists, HR experts, or financial consultants, but how often do they meet in the same room? How often do they coordinate their efforts? As they discussed today, data shows that these consultants are more effective when they work in coordination with each other. We definitely encourage farms to learn more about the use of consultant teams. I will also like to mention that Extension Dairy Educators can be a great addition to that team of consultants. We have a good team spread out throughout the state of Michigan ready and available to help dairy producers in this state. Please go to canr.msu.edu dairy slash experts to search for your local extension dairy agent. Again, the address is canr.msu.edu slash dairy slash experts. Join us next week 
when Forage educator Phil Cates will spend time with Dr. Kim Cassida, an experienced forage researcher for MSU. Their topic is reduced lignin alfalfa. So please join us then.